Good evening. So lucky to see you all. I am. Um, my name is Luca. For those of you who haven't met me, I lead uh, the city congregation, City AM. We've got two now, AM and PM, and it is so so good to be with you here tonight. Um, we're feeling much less intimidated to be here tonight because your sound systems reminds me very much of the one that we have in our congregation. This venue can be a little bit intimidating at times, but is that too soon? Sorry, guys, you still, still. Even from the sound desk, eh, Steve? Even from the sound desk, Steve still speaks. But yeah, I am. Um, got a few things I'd love to share tonight, but I can't shake that word which I was feeling in worship about the fact that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And that is a complete game changer. It's not just a historical fact. It, it's a real thing for you and for me that tonight we don't have to be afraid. We don't even have to be afraid of what's in our hearts and the brokenness we, which we so often experience in our own lives. We don't have to be afraid of that because Jesus rose from the grave. And he said, the same spirit that rose him from the grave will rise us up from the grave. It lives inside of us. And so there's no brokenness that's in us that intimidates Jesus. Sometimes we have a tendency to over-psychologize things, but I feel like tonight Jesus wants to say, I am the healer. I can heal you, and I can fix you even tonight. And so I really, um, I often come into times that we meet together with the sense of, I don't really know what's going to happen tonight. Tonight I have that times 10. I know what I prepared, but I have no idea what God wants to do tonight, but I have a feeling it might not be what I had in mind. And that's a cool thing. That's a cool, it's a cool thing to be a leader in the church and not know where we're going, because Jesus is the one that gives the directions. He gives the instructions. So um, tonight, uh, I want to just begin by asking, uh, where are you, Dana? Are you around? Just wave your hand. Yeah, don't you want to just come up um, and, and share that word with us, with or without the painting? It's either, either way is up to you. You, you hold it. So, so Dana, I want to just release a word that Dana shared with me during the week. The reason why I want to release it is because there were three people that shared prophetic words with me, and they were all the same word. And when the Lord does that, you know, the first time you're like, okay, cool, cool word. Second time you're like, oh, wow, the same word. Wow, jeez, that's amazing. What a confirmation. And then the third time you're like, okay, wait. <laughs> okay, okay, wait. So at this point you have to stop the bus and say, okay, God, I am listening now. You know, the first two times you were getting, I was getting there, now I'm listening. And so I just asked Dana to share the word. She, she was one of the three people that shared the word. Um, Hey guys. <laughs> I'm like recovering from worship. <laughs> um, oh, there's a mask. <laughs> so this painting, um, we a couple months ago, City Bowl had like a, we called it Hype Night, um, because we were seeking God's heart on opening creativity in in our specific family and then what that might look like. And that evening, so I'm a painter and a few other creative things. And I've always wanted to paint during worship. And I thought, okay, that would be a cool time. And this painting came from that time of worship. And those who were there, well, do you want to, we've got some people wanting to see it in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and just to like take you through kind of what God was saying that evening, it was, I, I remember Hans was, was um, really holding the space at the front, and Robin and Sam were, I think there was like 10 minutes at the beginning, where the word hallelujah over and over and over and over again. And it felt like this, I mean, I was waiting to see what God wanted to say and what I was going to try paint. And that was it over and over and over again. So... 
I started the painting by writing the word really loosely. It's in there somewhere. Hallelujah. And then kind of just followed that and responded to that word. And I am an abstract painter. <laughs> you can probably tell. Um, I can paint a mountain to look like a mountain if I want to, but God had other plans with this painting. So I started painting this thing, and there were so many moments during the process where I felt really uncomfortable. I'm actually just going to... I don't feel like I can see you guys. I felt really uncomfortable, and I felt... It felt really messy. I mean, it's messy. Like, that painting's not a neat painting. And I am used to painting in an abstract manner, but this felt different. And I felt very frustrated, and I kept finding myself being tempted to paint over all of the really scribbly parts. And God was not letting me. And I was like, oh, okay, what? And then that's when God started to speak to me about how it's supposed to be a mess and hallelujah is meant to look messy because we're humans. And um, the word hallelujah means God be praised. Praise you, Lord. And the, the, what was so beautiful was that as people were responding to the painting at the end of the evening, I didn't, I wanted to keep painting, but he said, leave it at this point. And I've got a few of people's responses um, that aren't very long, but I just wanted to, it was just amazing how what God had said to me during the process, people were completely um, picking up in their responses. And someone, it was actually Josh Muller, I don't know if he's here, but he actually came to me and he looked at it and he said, hallelujah through the mess. And I was like, oh yeah, that's its name. So he was like, cool. <laughs> Confirmed. Okay, epic. And then I had, um, Brendan came up and he saw a garden, which was another thing that God was speaking to me about while we're painting it. And that growing together as a family can, is like this, the metaphor of growing a garden together is really apt and helpful and it's often messy. And then, um, Lawrence also saw, I don't know if I can see it in here, but she saw a heart with valves, valves as well. Don't know where they are, Lawrence. You can show us where they are. But Lawrence came up to me and she said, "I see a heart with valves." And again, that heartbeat of family and unity is can be really messy. And so that's where the word specifically starts to come together. And I've got two scriptures. What was really cool was I. This was a couple of months ago, and so I felt to pray this over the family, but didn't feel like maybe releasing it. And um, we've got just an intercessors group for City Bowl, and there was a, it was a couple of weeks where unity was the theme that kept coming up over and over again. And I, that's why I reached out to Luke, because I felt like after all of the shifts and the change, especially with our bigger, with our City Bowl family splitting up, we have this chance to almost like a reset in how we come together, how we learn, almost like. The words were, how can we hallelujah well? And it's going to be really messy. And relationship is really messy. And relationship is hard. But Jesus isn't afraid of that. And um, the scriptures I just wanted to share that back this beautiful message up. They both are from Ephesians. The first one is Ephesians 4, 2 to 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then the second one is Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that, my encouragement to us and um, city bowlers, this has been chilling in the foyer without y'all knowing what it's all meaning. And so the hope is that this will now be a reminder every time like we see this, that we know we are to submit to each other through reverence, in reverence for Christ himself. And even just about Jesus being alive, he's not, and he's not afraid of our stuff. And so I really, really urge us to move toward each other without being afraid of our stuff getting in the way and other people's stuff. And something also, it's not inconvenient to work through things. That's something I've really like felt to just press. It's not an inconvenience to give our stuff to each other and to have other people bring their things to us. And I just wanted to kind of break that off because I feel like sometimes our tendency is to be like, mm, I don't really have time. I 
don't really have time, but are we, hallelu- are we going to hallelujah well if we don't? I think that's it. <laughs> Yeah, such as a presence of the Lord, I think, as she was sharing, just what worshiping look Jesus looks like in our relationships, you know, that the word vulnerability and transparency and unity and love is something that feels the Lord wants to minister to our hearts. So I'm going to just remember that word. I'm going to bring it in later in this message that I'm preaching uh, with us tonight. It, it feels like a massive part of the word for us not just City Bowl, but for all gathered here tonight. I feel like it's a word the Lord wants to break through, break something good, open through us and in us as a, as a family. Amen? Does that, witness, does that witness with you guys? So the word, so this is going to, you know, laugh, but the word I felt the Lord asked me to share tonight is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, uh, and it's about um, the race that all runners run. That should be a joke, but except for uh, you may have forgotten that this morning was the city marathon. So that's why we are not in our venue this morning as a city bowl congregation. We're an AM congregation. We don't we do, we weren't able to use our venue this morning because the runners were all running past us. But I felt this scripture drop into my heart that the Lord wanted to speak to us about running our race well. So let's read that. It's one Corinthians nine. Verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So I felt this word for us tonight, that God wants us to run our race well. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Um, in a minute, uh, in, a, in a little minute, I'm going to ask uh, Zanel to come up uh, because I've never run a marathon, but she has. In fact, this morning, so she asked if we could have a chair ready in case uh, she collapsed. So maybe we, we could grab this chair here yeah, because I don't know how long she can stand for. But in a minute, I'm going to ask her to come up. But the, the point that I want to start off with saying is the spiritual race that we run is the same as any race that gets run. Everybody wants to win, but not everyone does. And it's the same in the spiritual, spiritual equivalent. Jesus said, many seek, few find. Many start on the journey. The, the journey is wide. The, the, way, the way is wide, and few there be that find it. But the, the way to eternity is, is narrow, and the narrow path and the narrow gate. And so it's the same principle. And God wants every single person to run their race to the end. He wants us to inherit eternity with him. So maybe, Zanel, why don't you come up? And we are going to, I'm just going to ask her a few questions, just to get into the mindset of someone who has just run a very long race. Will you be fine? Wow, you're more than fine. Did you finish? What? And you're jumping. Good grief. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll keep it short and, and sweet, but I, I want to just make this passage that we've read now, like put some flesh on that. Okay, so the first question is, uh, how are you feeling? <laughs> I, I'm feeling okay. <laughs> so you finished, right? I did. And did you win? No. <laughs> so I think that the question uh, that I have, and maybe many of us do have, is how do you prepare for a marathon? Like, for someone that's never done it before, like, what do you have to do to prepare in the lead up to a marathon? 
Um, well, generally, just a lot of training, and you do different kinds of, you do some speed work, you do hills, you do long runs, you... Technically, I realize now I also have to do core strengthening and glute strengthening because <laughs> it all helps you in the end to become a stronger runner. Sure, I can't even imagine. The furthest I've ever run, is, I think, is about 7Ks. But uh, in terms of, like, the preparation for a marathon, obviously there's the running and there's the training for your physical preparation, and, and I don't know about diet and what you eat and all of those things, but in terms of, like, your headspace... Like in terms of somebody who wanted to do a marathon, what kind of headspace should they have? Like what, how can they prepare themselves for running a race like that? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a, a mental game because um, I've done a few half marathons and when I get to the end, I just always think, oh my gosh, how do I do double this? Like I'm so done by the end of 21. And for today, I, was just, I, I knew it was going to be a long run and you just kind of, prepare yourself, okay, it's going to be four times 10 kilometers or eight times five kilometers or whatever, you know, just break it up into little blocks and get through it in the end. And so maybe my last question is kind of a two-part question. Like what, what's the part that was really unpleasant and what was the part that made it worthwhile? I mean, I can't imagine because I would struggle to motivate myself, but for yourself... <laughs> Well, one of the motivators was that you're going to interview me. So I was like, I cannot come up here and say I didn't finish. <laughs> um, but I think one of the unpleasant parts is I um, fairly recently sustained an ITB injury, and it kicked in at about 12 kilometers. And I was in a lot of pain, but I had pain pills, so it ran on prayer and paracetamol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was not so great, but it was so lovely, just the, the gears. There were people all along the road, and that makes it easier because they cheer you on, and they like it's so encouraging, and you just want to keep on going, keep on going to the end. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. So you can put that passage up again when it says... Um, in verse, uh, it says, every, they do it, they run, they run to, to win a crown in those days. That the, you know, it's referencing Roman days when they would run in the stadium and they, they would have a, a games, the mentions there, the games, the Olympic games, you know, that's where it was kind of birthed in Greece. Um, but, but we run to attain a crown that will last forever. And the point that he's trying to make is that these runners put themselves through intense training, discipline, perseverance, the pain. They push through and they, they run their race to the end so that what? So they can, in those days, they'd get like a, a leafy, you know, laurel that you'd put and you'd, be, and you'd, you'd raise your hand and everyone would, would clap and you'd have your moment of fame. And that, that was your reward for putting yourself through all of that, you know. Now you get a, a piece of, of metal and, and bragging rights. And you put yourself through all of that. And it's worth it for, those, for, for, that, for that reward. But, but Paul is saying here, how much more if the prize is eternity with Christ? Eternity with Christ. Glory with Christ. A well done, my good and faithful servant from God himself. How much more would we then have a, an attitude of focus, determination, and of the, treasuring the, the precious thing that salvation is, that we would treasure, that we would run our race to win the prize. And the prize is Jesus. That is the prize waiting for us at the end. I think one of the things I want to just mention at this point is that Many times as Christians, we put a massive emphasis on an event which we call salvation. You know, that moment when God encountered me, that event, that moment in time which I maybe think back on. And there is an event when God encounters us. There's a born-again experience. There's that moment when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. But more often in Scripture, we find salvation spoken about as a journey, as a race, as a path, Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way. Follow me. Speaking about a journey, 
And very often, Scripture speaks about a journey. And in this passage, is talking about a race that we run to win. And Christ wants us to run to win. So the question that I want to just speak into is, how can we run in such a way as to win the prize? How can we? And the first point is to consider, and I really felt the Holy Spirit impress this on my heart, consider what's at stake, what we stand to gain and what we stand to lose. Consider the preciousness of the prize that is Jesus. Consider it, meditate on it, value it, treasure it. When we lose, you know, and, and you may have ex- experienced this. I've experienced this many times as a, as a pastor. When you experience people losing sight of the prize. And when we lose sight of the prize, we do silly things with our salvation. We make small concessions, small compromises. And people around us can see we're actually giving it all away. You know, we, we, we think of people in the Old Testament who gave away their inheritance for trivial things. But when we lose sight of the prize that lies at the end of the race, Jesus himself, we treasure this salvation. We treasure this gift that we've been given. We don't take it for granted. And my encouragement to you is don't let anything or anyone or any circumstance steal your reward. Don't let anyone steal your reward. I have this attitude in me. I've got this bull terrier sunk my teeth into the kingdom of Christ. And nobody, nobody is going to get it from out of my teeth. You know, like that staffy that hangs on when he gets that locked jaw. That is my attitude about Jesus. I have locked into Jesus and nothing, no one. And that's not because of my confidence in me. It's, I'm talking now about how much I value Christ. Nothing in this world. I don't have a price tag. Nothing could compare to the treasure that Jesus is for me. Amen? The Old Testament picture of salvation, you know, there's these Old Testament pictures that we draw on. One of the ones that's drawn on so often is the Israelites traveling from Egypt. That's their hell. That's their old life. That's their sinful life. Life, which they associated with slavery and hardship and pain. And, they, and God leads them out and they're crossing this wilderness, this barren wasteland of a desert. God's leading them through the wasteland to the promised land, to their inheritance. And that is the picture for us. We've left slavery to Satan, slavery to our old life. And we are traveling, we are traversing, and we, are, we have... The goal, but it only makes sense. It only is worthwhile if we keep the goal in mind our heavenly city, our Jerusalem. And at the end of the line, Jesus waits, but Jesus waits for us, but also glorification awaits. What is glorification? Well, the Bible says now is the time when we experience humiliation. This outward body is wasting away. We experience many humiliations and pain and suffering. But then we will experience glorification. It says in the word that when we see him, Jesus, in his glory, we will become as he is. We will be glorified. It will be the end for us. It will be the the well done for us. It will be our reward with Christ forever. The second thing I feel like the Lord wants to impress on us tonight is intentionality. Intentionality in our faith. The Bible speaks in this verse about running the race to win the prize, right? That speaks about intentionality. No one ever won a race by accident, right? No one ever stumbled across the the, the race and someone said, well done, so you've just won the marathon. He's like, are you serious? Wow, that's amazing. We don't win a race by accident. There's an intentionality, and you see it in all of Paul's writing. He's got this intentionality. He's got this prize in mind. And his whole life conforms to this vision that he has of eternity with Christ. Amen? It's an intentionality that God has called us to. The Bible says in that passage that we read now, we don't run aimlessly. 
We don't run aimlessly. We don't live our lives aimlessly. And I'm emphasizing this because I often see Christians do. They live aimlessly. They look lost. You want to like say, hey, are you lost? Can I point you somewhere? Like, are you, do you know where we're where we headed? And this part of the purpose of tonight is to, is to paint a picture of you. We're not lost. We're not walking aimlessly. We're not beating the air, that Paul says. You know, this pointless image of a boxer punching the air. We have a purpose. We, go, we know where we're going, and we know how to get there. We know what Christ has required of us to get to the place that we're going. I love that, that phrase that Zanel dropped about what kept her going was the crowds. I'll tell you why. Let's put up Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Listen to this. First line. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Isn't that amazing? He's saying that because it's the same motivation that Zanel had to get to the end. It's not just about me. There's a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then it talks about Jesus. We're talking about this in worship. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of of God. Can you see it's the same language? It's the same God in heaven saying, I want you to win. I don't want you to get tired and give up. Keep your eyes on where you're running to and the reason that I have called you. God has called you. You're not on this race by accident. God called you after himself. And he called you because he wants you to run your race well to the end. The cloud of witnesses, by the way, is all the people who've gone before us. All the pioneers, all the men of, and women of faith that throughout the years have persevered for the, through their passion for Jesus, through their vision of eternity. They scorned the shame. They scorned the persecution. They didn't count themselves, their lives precious, but they ran and they finished their race. And now they're waiting at the end and they're looking at your life. They're looking at my life and they're saying, come on. Come and join us. Finish strong. Don't allow the things of this world, the distractions of this world, the petty things of this world, the distractions, the temptations of this world to trip you up and distract you and let you to forget that we're running a race to win a prize. Amen? I'm going to drop a willism right now. A willism from Will Murray. He said it recently. It, Edgemead guys don't need an explanation. I'm explaining that for the city bowlers. Will Murray said, Losers let things happen. Leaders make things happen. It speaks about intentionality. Losers let things happen. A, a Christian that's lost their purpose, lost their vision, they kind of just get directed by the circumstances of their life. Right? Something comes up. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to go this way then. Something else comes up, okay, well, well, it seems like everyone else is going this way, so I guess I'll just go that way. That, that's what, that is not intentional. That is not the life Christ has called us to live. He's called us to be people that see the prize, that see Jesus, that see the calling that's on my life and say, no, I'm not just going whichever d different way because if that's not the way Jesus has called me to, I'm going straight. Thank you very much. Amen? It's intentionality. I see so many Christians making huge decisions, all small decisions, and it's kind of just like, well, why did you do that? I don't know. I just kind of felt right, right? Just kind of drifted. That is not what we are called to. We're called to be people who are intentional, that know what Christ has called us to, that run with intentionality, not aimless. There's a thousand small decisions that you make every single day. Most of them have to do with how I respond with my words, right? How I treat people, how I love people, what I do when temptation crops up. Am I going to sow to the Spirit? So do the flesh. Thousand small decisions. But they're all made in the light of eternity. Right? And then there's the big decisions that you make. Like, where shall I live? Which city should I live in? What job should I choose? Which career path should I follow? Who should I marry? Right? All of these decisions. We're not aimless. We're not beating the air. We, are, we make all these decisions in the light of eternity, in the light of Christ. We are people that know who has called us 
and where we are going. Amen? Number three, to run my race well requires me to deal with my stuff. Does that sound a bit vague? To deal with my stuff. That has to do with this stuff here. We are all messy. When Christ calls us, we're a mess. If you weren't a mess when Christ called you, he still needs to show you the mess that you do have. But Christ has called us to deal with our mess by the power of his spirit. Jesus has overcome the grave. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He overcame Satan. And now he lives in you to empower you to deal with your mess. Amen? This is not on on you only. It's as we partner with Christ. I am able to deal with my mess. Christians get so discouraged by the state of their heart, by the patterns of destruction and, and brokenness that they see in themselves. And I get that. It is discouraging. But it feels like tonight God wants to lift our heads and say, yes, it's discouraging when you look at the mess of your life. But I can fix it. I can fix it. Amen? It feels like the power of the Holy Spirit is here tonight to restore our sense of hope. Our, our, like Jesus, I haven't got this. But you live in me. You can fix me, God. The analogy is a runner that's got an injured leg and hobbling along. Oftentimes, our, our brokenness, our mess inside of our hearts, it, it presents itself in our relationships, right? Christianity is easy except for the Christians, right? It is. Christianity in a cave by yourself, it's lonely, but it's easy, amen? But when you're with Christians... When there are people, when there are relationships that you have to deal with every day, it gets messy because I'm a mess. And so is the person that I'm trying to love. But there's this profound mystery in the kingdom, and I want to really drive this home tonight. You cannot put your relational box here and my God box here. Like, what's important is my relationship with God, my dysfunctional relationships. Well, it's not ideal, but it happens can't do that. Jesus said the most important command, and then he, he kind of sneaked in a second one there, right? They asked him for the one thing, and he snuck in two. Love God, love your neighbor. There's this profound mystery in the kingdom that as we encounter God, he gives us grace and love for people, but it works the other way too. As we encounter community and love with people, we find healing with God. It's a beautiful thing, and it's frustrating when my relationships are dysfunctional, right? Because how many times have you experienced a desert season, a painful time, when your life is a mess and you're feeling discouraged, and a brother comes or a sister comes, and they minister life to you? And I say minister, but it sounds so spiritual. It's often not. It's often just a a friend saying something kind, encouraging me, maybe praying for me, maybe rebuking me whatever the case is, and I just experience such profound grace. And I experience Jesus, and I'll be like, I've been praying all week, but I'm experiencing him right now. Why? Because we experience God even through relationships. It's a part of the beauty of the kingdom. It's a critical part, which is why I wanted to explain it. If you've got a bum leg, and that leg is relationships, dysfunctional relationships, you can't ignore it. You won't finish the race. You won't finish the race. If you've got dysfunctional relationships, broken relationships, and you just keep getting caught in in destructive patterns, you won't finish. And so the Bible and God constantly calls us back to deal with our stuff. I have broken relationships because I'm broken. Amen? And because the person that I'm trying to have a relationship with is broken. And so the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. There's a, and so that's what Paul was speaking about when he said, I beat myself 
with many blows. What's he doing? He's, he's disciplining himself to bring himself in line with God's word. And it's a constant daily exercise. The Bible speaks about training myself in righteousness. The word training is the same word we have for gym. Like training, I don't gym. But you know, you get the point. People do gym for some reason. I, training, I'm training myself. But when I, when I put the, the sinful desires, tendencies, temptations, when I say no, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I choose godliness. I choose love. I choose grace. I choose to forgive. I choose to believe the best of this person, even though it's 50-50 right now. I choose to trust. What am I doing? I'm putting a bullet through sin and death and sinfulness and sinful tendencies and temptations, and I'm saying yes to Christ. I'm sowing to the Spirit, and I'm training myself in righteousness. This, friends, is where the rubber meets the road, doesn't it? This is where it's at. This here <laughs> is, is where it's at. I want to just mention a few things here about things which can really spin you out relationally with people. I'm just mentioning a few things. As a pastor, I see these things all the time, but they won't, they won't be new to you. But I wanted to just make you aware of a few things that God wants to deal with in me, deal with in you. If we don't deal with these things in our relationships, we will continue to have dysfunctional relationships with friends, with my wife, with my leaders in my church, with my boss, with my colleagues at work. You fill in the blank, right? Number one, we live in a culture which speaks about trying to change my environment to not trigger me. Heard the word before? Triggering? We do get triggered. I get triggered. But we are not called to change the environment so that I don't get triggered. That's putting the responsibility in the wrong place. The Bible never speaks about helping your colleagues and friends and family to know your triggers so that you don't get triggered. If you can find it in the New Testament, you can come show me afterwards. It says, you put to death what's earthly and fleshly in you, right? Amen? I'm not hearing a lot of amen, but it is true nonetheless. <laughs> the world would want to shift the responsibility onto all the people around me to not trigger my brokenness. I've got good news. You were broken, but God's plan for you is to fix you. Not to fix your environment so that you never get triggered again, but to heal your heart. To heal your heart. And guess what? He's going to put you in triggering environments because he wants to bring stuff to the surface so that he can heal you. The world in the, where we live in knows nothing about healing me, right? They can try super hard, lots of different techniques. None of them work. Jesus heals me. He heals the relational brokenness in me. I know it's controversial to say that, but as a church, we're not called to change the world to be less triggering for me. That is not our responsibility before Christ. Amen? I have to deal with my stuff by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, you know when, when you get injured, and I do have a little bit of experience with this with Candace Sumner. I once got a very bad injury in my neck. And when you get an injury, when you say running, when you get an injury in your muscle, it forms a knot. You've heard this before. You've experienced this before. The muscle is trying to protect itself. It's injured. It's trying to protect itself. It clams up. It tightens up to protect itself. We do that with our hearts. Don't we? When my heart gets hurt, we clam up. We try and protect our hearts. We put up defense mechanisms around our hearts so that I don't get hurt again. And guess what God does? He does the same thing that a good physio does. He goes straight to that knot and he tries to loosen it up, right? Because until you've lowered your defenses, you can't have intimacy. Until you're able to trust again, you can't have meaningful relationships. Love without trust is just sentimentality. Amen? Amen? Love without trust is just sentimentality. God goes to the very defense mechanisms we've put up to protect our hearts. And he says, okay, cool, this world's coming down. But God, I'm scared. I'll help you. I'll protect you. 
I'll be the one to make sure that you're safe. Amen? I want to just encourage you. I really felt the Lord highlight this particular point here. Many of us, all of us, struggle to trust because we've, we've experienced broken people, right? Including ourselves. But love always trusts. Why? Because it's safe? No. Because Jesus always trusts. And look what happened to him. But he still trusts. He still extends his heart. He still offers his love. He still wants to be intimate with us. And he knows we'll hurt him. Amen? Especially me, especially you. But he still invites us into intimacy with him. Andrew Selly always uses the example of Odie from Garfield. You know, Garfield always abuses Odie, right? He always puts his claws into Odie and he smacks him and he, treat, he abuses him. And Odie always comes by, bouncing back, right, with his tongue hanging out, wanting to play. And to a certain extent, that's what God, Christ calls us as Christians to do. We get clawed by life, by people. And we go away and we, we heal up and we go before the Lord and He heals our hearts and then we come bouncing back. Because love always trusts. I know, I know that what I'm saying is ridiculously counterintuitive, but it is also Jesus. Amen? There's another lie that we believe that I don't really need people. Maybe you identify or you think of yourself as an introvert. That's fine, but you still need people. You still need people. We all need people. God has made us to need community, to need friendships, to need intimacy with other people. It's not just a nice thing to have. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of our journey. Some of us don't process wounds and bad experiences and hurt well. We slip into old patterns of trying to get healed, usually by yourself. But God has called us to be healed in community. Amen? I know it's counterintuitive, but in community. Like we mentioned earlier, God's calling us to transparency, to honesty, to vulnerability, so that when I'm in pain, when I'm struggling, I'm not going to say, cool guys, I'm struggling right now. When I'm healed again, then I'll come back into community. No, in community. It's like when a bone gets broken, you put a cast around it. The cast is Jesus and the cast is community. We get healed. We, we, the bone gets set straight again in community. Otherwise, it will heal, but it will heal back skew. And that's what happens when we try and cure ourselves and heal ourselves by isolating. Don't use your emotions as a weapon to keep people from speaking truth into your life. Amen? What do I mean by that? I mean, yes, I've experienced pain. Yes, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. But if I use that to intimidate people to not come close, because they, cause they, cause it's like I've got weapons, right? I'm, I'm emotional. God can't heal me. If you use your emotions as a weapon to keep people at bay, God can't heal you. Yes, we've all been wounded. Yes, we've been crushed. Yes, we're messy. But my past doesn't have to determine my future. Amen? Christ wants to heal me and he wants to heal me in community. I'm closing now. But as in a race, so in the kingdom, that in order for God to heal us, in order for God to use us, to point us in the right direction. We're going to need community. We're going to need to be honest. I love what Andrew Selly says again and again and again. You're going to know on that day what's really going on in my life now. So I may, as well, I may as well be transparent and vulnerable now. I may as well let you in now. But more than that, the spiritual equivalent of a coach that helps you to train to run your race is community, is people who know what's going on in your life, who have the freedom to speak truth because you know that they love you and they have your best interest in heart. We all need that. I know this is an old value, right? But it's still true and it's still vital. It will save my life. It will save your life. 
And so I want to close with a scripture, Philippians 2, verse 12, and then I want to just sum up. Talking about running a race, right? Working hard, training myself. It's like, well, that's very, that's very works-orientated. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's very, now listen to the second, second verse. For, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. For it is God, that same Jesus who rose from the dead, that same power of the Holy Spirit works in you. And so if it was up to me to run my race and to discipline myself and to beat myself into shape, I'm, I'm sunk before I even start. For it is God who is working in you. He is the hope of salvation. He is the reason why we have hope and a future because God is working in me. His grace is working in me. So I want to close by summing up now. Number one, consider the prize, Jesus. Consider what's at stake, eternity with Christ. That is something too precious to get distracted from. To, turn, to take a right turn or a left turn off of the path of salvation. I'm running with intentionality. I'm saying, Jesus, you've called me for your glory. I'm running my race. Everything that I have for your glory to win my race, to win the prize, to meet you where you have gone before me. I deal with my stuff. Because my stuff, as Paul says, after preaching to others, I'm not going to let my stuff dis disqualify me. Amen? I'm not going to allow my relational dysfunctionality to spin me off the course. No, Jesus, you, you're bigger than that. That's you and me. We're going to deal with the stuff. And I'm going to beat my body with blows and make sure that that stuff in me doesn't disqualify me or spin me off my race or get me distracted from Jesus. Amen? To be able to love God and love my neighbor. And lastly, I felt God wanting to just encourage and saying, don't give up. Don't give up. There is a crowd of witnesses and Jesus being the most important one that is looking down on you right now. Not us, you, your life. Saying, come on. Come on, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't let the tiredness or the weariness of battling with sin and temptations and stuff make you to give up. Jesus has got you. Jesus has called you, and he will be faithful to, con to complete the work that he has started in your life. Amen? Can we pray? I feel like there's a couple of things to pray into right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus for encountering us tonight and reminding us of the power of the cross. The resurrection of Christ, that same power is resurrecting me, is changing me, is healing me, is leading me, is empowering me, is causing me to will and to act according to your purpose, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that by your power we can run this race till the end. I pray, Lord Jesus, tonight, just as the word has come, Lord, for those who've grown distracted and maybe who are running a little bit aimlessly, would you bring a focus and a clarity tonight? Would you remind every individual that you have called me to yourself to run my race well till the end because you want me to inherit with you, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus, for those who are here tonight that possibly haven't even been born again, you are calling men and women to yourself tonight. Holy Spirit, you are calling the lost, those who have not yet been born again. If that's you tonight, I want to give an opportunity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. If you want to know the way to God, it's through Jesus. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If you make Jesus your Lord and your Savior by putting your trust in Him, the Bible says that our sin disqualifies us from the presence of God. We've offended God by the way that we've lived our lives, but God has provided a sacrifice to pay for the debt of my sin, of your sin, and that sacrifice was Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to pay the debt of sin that you and I could not pay. You cannot be saved except for the salvation that is made possible through Jesus because Jesus, a sinless, perfect man, died on the cross to pay for your sin, for your debt, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled with God. And if you're here this evening and you feel like, I don't think I am right with God because I haven't, I haven't done what you're saying before. I haven't put my faith completely in Christ. I haven't made Him my Lord. I would love to pray with you. And you can leave this place tonight confident that I have been made right with God through Jesus, through the cross, and start a new life following Him. If that is you, I'd love to pray with you. Don't you want to just pop up your hand where you're sitting? Not to make an embarrassment of you, but to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone like that in this place here tonight? Just slip up your hand where you're sitting. If you've been invited by a friend and maybe you've not done this before, but you don't want to leave without that confidence that I'm made right with God. Is there anyone like that here tonight? Cool. For the rest of us, I'm going to make a few response calls, and you can stand for whichever one, and we won't know which one. That's the ingenuity of it all, right? We won't know for which one. But for three things specifically, you've grown distracted in your walk with God, in your race with God. You, you have actually lost focus and you feel God tonight is calling you back to, to set your heart and your mind completely on Christ and to run your race to win the prize. You've neglected the call of God on your life. That's the first one. Number two, you have been neglecting to deal with your stuff. And your stuff has actually been causing relational brokenness again and again and again. And you felt tonight God saying, I can heal you. I can heal you of that thing. That thing that's causing you to have one dysfunctional relationship after the next. I've, I've got hope for you. I can heal that thing. And the last one, and it's related to number two, is God's calling you to trust again. You've found it difficult to trust people because you've been hurt and you've felt the challenge of God saying again tonight, love always trusts. Make a choice. If, that, if you are any one of those categories, don't you want to stand? We're going to pray for one another. If you've allowed yourself to be distracted in your call, or relational dysfunctionality, and you're feeling the Lord calling you to healing tonight, and saying, I want to deal with that thing, struggling to trust, we'd love to just pray with one another. And I feel like God wants us to pray with one another. Is that cool? I know it's COVID and COVID distancing and all of that, but we still pray for one another, right? God still ministers to one another through the saints. So I want to chat to the guys that are sitting down. Um, this is the beauty of family. Um, we're all built together. And God chooses to use each one of us, whether you're a pinky toe or a little finger, or whether you're a heart or a lung. And I want to say that this, we can't do this in our own strength. 
God works in us to will, to want to do it, and to do it. And He gives us the Holy Spirit. So all of us that's sitting, that's around, that knows and loves Jesus, that's part of family, you all have something to give. And where are you sitting at? Let's, let's all just stand around those. Look, look, whoever's close to you, we're going to lose who was standing and who wasn't because when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is struggling, we're all struggling. So where you are, God has given you a voice. God has given you loving hands. God has given you the ability to to do something physically, but He's also given us the Holy Spirit that comes and He changes things. So Father, right now, we come to you as your family. You are here. You lead us and guide us. Give us the words to say. Give us the prayers to pray when we don't know. So just where you are, just pray. If you have to do it one at a time, if you have to all pray at once, let's just raise our voices. Let's trust God to heal tonight.
So guys, we're going to blur the ending. For those of you that need to go, coffee shop is open. Um, yeah, let's, let's leave from here celebrating and, and yeah, doing things as family. So coffee at the back. Enjoy.